In the American legal system and the American media covering his infamous espionage trial, he was known as Rudolf Ivanovich Abel, or Rudolf Abel for short. But his real name was William August Fisher. Fisher, or Abel at that point, October 1957, was an accomplished veteran spy, with a rich resume and even a richer more exciting background. William Fisher was born on July 11, 1903, in Newcastle-upon-Tyne. But he wasn't English or even British. He belonged to a German-Russian family with an established revolutionary history. His father, Heinrich Fischer, of German extraction, taught at the St. Petersburg Technical Institute and came to join the socialist resistance, hand-in-hand, hand, with none other than Vladimir Lenin himself. Heinrich Fischer was arrested in 1896, but after his release from prison, he fled out of Tsarist Russia for fear of forced conscription in Russia or Germany. The family escaped to the UK, where young William was born, and where the family would continue their zealous communist and Bolshevik activism. After finishing school, William didn't go to university because the family couldn't afford the expenses, so he worked as a draftsman and attended evening classes. But all dreams for higher education were dropped when the Bolsheviks prevailed in Russia after the vicious civil war. The Fishers arrived in Moscow in 1921. Owing to his fluency in English, German, and Russian, young William found himself a job at the Comintern, the Soviet's organization for spreading communism throughout the world. Upon joining the army, William served in an radio battalion in 1925-26. In 1927 he was recruited by the Russian intelligence, called Ogbu at the time. He russified his name to William Janrikovich Fisher, married and had a daughter. Being a polyglot, he was posted around Europe, to Norway, Turkey, the UK, and France, to work as a radio operator. He returned to the Soviet Union in 1936 and headed the school for training radio operators. He narrowly escaped prosecution during Stalin's Great Purge, but was fired from his job. But with the eruption of World War II, he was recalled to duty, owing to his great expertise in radio operation. He resumed training new operatives and joined the infamous Operation Scherhorn in August 1944. And for his success on this particular operation, he was chosen after the war to be posted in the most critical of all places, the United States. In October 1948, he traveled to Warsaw, Poland, now under a communist regime allied with the Soviet Union. There, he was given a U.S. passport under the name of Andrew Kaitis. Kaitis was an American of Lithuanian origins who died in Vilnius, Lithuania while visiting his family. Fisher, after going through Czechoslovakia, Switzerland, France, Canada, finally crossed into the U.S. on November 17, 1948. Fisher was promptly received by an undercover Russian spy, an illegal resident, who gave Fisher a genuine birth certificate under the name of Emil Goldfuss. The real Goldfuss was an American who had died 14 months earlier. His birth certificate was snatched by the Soviet intelligence during Goldfuss's participation in the Spanish Civil War, a decade earlier. Fisher was given the code name Mark and ordered to reactivate the Volunteer Spy Network, a network focused on smuggling secrets of the atomic bomb project in Los Alamos. Fisher started right away to reorganize the network, but his efforts met an early catastrophic setback with the arrest of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, who were in contact with one of his network's couriers. Fisher quickly helped sneak away the courier and her family to Europe. He then focused on the next member of his spying the one who'd bring Fischer's own downfall, Rhino Heihanen. Heihanen was a Soviet spy of Finnish ancestry, 
he was recruited into the Soviet Army during the Soviet-Finnish War of 1939-40, then went on to help with other missions during the Second World War. He was then recruited by the Soviet intelligence. The Soviets managed to get hold of the documents of Eugene Nikolai Maki, a Finnish-American worker. Heinen was given his documents and in 1949 was sent to Finland to assume Maki's identity for three years. Then in 1952, Heinen was sent to New York to serve as an assistant to Fisher. However, from early on, Heinen would prove to be an unreliable incompetent spy. He indulged in heavy drinking and drew attention due to his heated arguments with his wife. In a mission that would prove to be highly consequential, he lost a hollow nickel coin containing a secret microfilm. That fake coin traveled throughout New York till it fell into the hands of a 13-year-old newspaper boy. The boy recognizing the coin to be fake, struck it to the ground. To his surprise, it had something inside. A microfilm. The boy handed it to a New York detective and he in turn, gave it to the FBI. For four years, the FBI struggled to decipher the message within that microfilm, but couldn't solve the mystery behind it. That mystery would come to be known as the hollow nickel case. Meanwhile, Fisher in late 1953, moved to Brooklyn, New York, and rented a room. He turned it into an art studio and started to assume the persona of an artist and a photographer with an irregular schedule, one that properly fit his alternative life as a spy. He started to intermingle with the society of the New York artists. Most prominent of his acquaintances was the famous painter, Burton Silverman. Heinen, who started working for Fisher as an assistant in 1954, would continue squandering the spyring's work, mission after mission. Fisher was disturbed by Heinen's lack of discipline and constant drunkenness. In 1955, Fisher returned to Moscow for a six-month vacation, leaving Heinen in charge. However, upon his return in 1956, he was shocked to find that his carefully organized network had fallen into disarray. Fisher found that many secret messages were left in place for several months and that Heinen was so careless to the extent that he sent radio transmissions from the same location and even at times used incorrect radio frequencies. Moreover, he had spent from the network's budget on alcohol and prostitutes. So, by early 1957, Fisher sent to Moscow asking them to recall his inefficient deputy. And indeed, Heinen received a message from Moscow informing him that he had been promoted and that he was allowed to return to the Soviet Union. But incompetent Heinen wasn't that stupid. He knew that his recall to Moscow meant his punishment, maybe even execution. Heinen made up stories to delay his return to Moscow, even lying to Fisher, saying that he was taken down the ship to Europe by FBI agents. Fisher gave him money and forced him to leave the US. Heinen couldn't but leave this time. He arrived in Paris, but after a short stay, he contacted the American embassy there, declaring himself to be a KGB officer, asking for asylum. The CIA officials at first didn't buy Heinen's story. But when he provided them with information about the hollow nickel case, they started listening. He was returned to the United States, and there he started helping the FBI hunt down Soviet spies on American soil. Heinen of course didn't know Fisher's identity in the United States. Just his code name, Mark, but he was able to lead the Americans to Fisher's studio. Fisher by now had been alerted by the Soviet intelligence that Heinen had defected, and he was ordered to leave the United States immediately. Still, Fisher figured that with Hayden's help, the CIA and the FBI had probably figured out all his previous aliases and that all his identification papers were most probably useless. 
The Canadian Communist Party succeeded in obtaining a new passport for Fisher, but before he was able to get hold of it, he was arrested by the Americans. Fisher decided that he wouldn't turn on the Soviets and the KGB and refused cooperation with the FBI. During the interrogation, he said that his name was Rudolf Ivanovich Abel, a name of a dead KGB colonel and a previous friend of Fisher. Fisher knew that the Russian intelligence would recognize the name Abel and know that he was captured by the Americans. With the help of Hayhanen's testimony and the incriminating tools of espionage found at Fisher's residence, Fisher was sent to a federal court in October 1957 to be tried as a Soviet spy. He was convicted on three counts and sentenced to 30 years in jail. He was interned at the Atlanta Federal Penitentiary in Georgia, where he spent his time painting and playing chess. However, after just four years of imprisonment on February 10, 1962, Fisher would be exchanged for the U-2 pilot, Francis Gary Powers. That exchange took place on the Glienicke Bridge that linked West Berlin with Potsdam, henceforth known as the Bridge of Spies. A few days later, Fisher was reunited with his wife and daughter and taken back to Russia. For the sake of propaganda, Fisher was portrayed in the Soviet media as the successful undeterred spy who stood to the Americans. Fisher later continued work at the KGB and gave speeches on intelligence work. A heavy smoker throughout his life, he would die of lung cancer on November 15, 1971. A decade before Fisher's death, Hayhanen, his incompetent assistant who turned him to the Americans, died in a motor car accident in mysterious circumstances, which of course, the KGB is believed to have had something to do with it. Fisher's story and the hollow nickel case would eventually become very popular in both the American and Russian media. The most notable American depiction of this case was Steven Spielberg's 2015 film, Bridge of Spies. In Russia, greater tribute was given to Fisher. Fisher's mythologization started with his appearance in the introduction of a 1968 Soviet spy movie called Dead Season. After Fisher's death, his story was frequently visited in numerous Russian state documentaries. In 1990, the USSR in its dying days released a stamp featuring Fisher to commemorate his service. And on December 18, 2015, on the eve of the day of the state security officer's holiday for the Russian intelligence, a memorial plague to Fisher was placed in Samara, where Fisher and his family lived during World War II, and where he taught at an intelligence school. If you like this video, hit the subscribe button and the notification bell to follow our future videos, and don't forget to check on our Facebook page for additional content. Thank you and catch you on the next one. Bye.